So who's ever played one of those games where you're, you're, you look at two pictures and they seem almost identical, but there's actually slight differences and the point is to try and figure out what the differences are. Anyone ever played that game before? Okay, let's try that here this morning. And I'm just going to say, if you're visually impaired, this is probably not a game for you. <laughs> See if you can spot the difference. Tell your neighbor, what, what do you see different? Does anybody say, I don't see uh, anything different? <laughs> All right, let's go through and see if we can find the differences. I think there's six here. Uh, of course, this is Big Ben. Buddy of mine got a selfie with him at one point. Okay, so who sees the difference in the plane? Okay, saw that? All right. Uh, what about the clock face? Okay. What about the, the tower up here? Okay. Uh, what about the top of this building, whatever that is right here? Did I miss any? Flag, flag. Ah, oh, so observant. So in tune. I expect that for the rest of the message today. <laughs> so... It's one thing to look at a picture and see if we can spot the difference, but I'm going to ask you if you can see the difference in something else. Can you tell the difference between a mistake and a lifestyle? Is it the intent? Is it the feeling of regret? Is it simple frequency, how much you do this? Does it have anything to do with accountability or maybe being found out? At what point... Do ongoing mistakes need to be punished? At what point does the statement, I'm sorry, it was a mistake, it will never happen again, at what point does that statement no longer have any meaning? When does a person who told a lie become a liar? After one lie? After two lies? After ten lies? You know, most people wouldn't say, I am a perfect person. I think for the most part, we can agree nobody's perfect. But at what point would we say to ourselves, I am not a good person? Not out of like insecurity, like no one likes me, everyone hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. I'm not talking like out of insecurity. I'm talking about like out of a realization that your mistakes are actually intentional sins. At what point do we realize, I don't just make mistakes, but I am living in sin? At what point is that? Where's that point? At what point do we confess, I can spot the difference? I'm not just not a perfect person, but my heart is in rebellion to God. I'll tell you at what point that is. It's when God says so, not when you think so. See, the ancient kingdom of Israel, they did not realize how lost they were in their sin, but yet God kept warning them that their sin was going to lead to their destruction, but they would not listen to him. Why? Why wouldn't they listen to God? 14 chapters of, of Hosea, or his contemporary Amos, constantly telling people, you are in sin, it's heading down a bad road, come back to God, but they would not listen I think today's passage tells us why they wouldn't listen. And here's what I'm going to say to you. 
I think the passage that we're going to look at today, we absolutely have to see this as a mirror. Not a window to the past, but a mirror reflecting something true about ourselves. So we, however hard it is, I mean, you need to grab the top of your hair, if you have hair, the bottom of your chin, and force yourself, like, look at this. You need to look at this. Don't turn away. Look at this and see where you are in this. We're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 13 today. And uh, I, I want to do a quick little flyover of chapters 11, 12, and 13, just to lay some context before we begin, so we know what we're actually looking at. So if you remember Hosea chapter 11, and we looked at that chapter last week in depth. This is an incredibly beautiful chapter about God's overwhelming and jealous love for us, even though we continue to turn our backs on him and embrace the world. Even though we becoming, we're becoming more like the world and less like Jesus, God still has a jealous love for us that he calls out to us. That's the beautiful picture of Hosea chapter 11. Then, then we get to chapter 12, and I'm just going to go through this real quick. In the beginning of chapter 12, he, God calls them out, and he rightly accuses them of their sin. In verse 3 to 5, God tries to remind them of who they are by pointing to the history of Jacob, their forefather, whose name was changed to Israel. And God tried to remind them of all that God has done through them. In verse 6, God pleads with them. In this beautiful verse, God says, return to me. It's a stunningly beautiful verse, Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. I want to show it to you real quick. Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. This is like an underlined worthy verse. Write it on your tennis shoes. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Beautiful verse. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And God speaks through Hosea and, and, and wraps up chapter 12 with verses 7 to 14. And God shows them that their sin and that, and that their actions are leading to nowhere good. You continue down this road, it's going to end in your destruction. This leads us into chapter 13. The first part of chapter 13, God reveals that it is in fact their pride that's keeping them from listening to God and keeping them down a path that's leading them astray. And then in verses 4 to 6, God declares that yet he is still their God, even in their pride, even in the fact that they turn away from him. He says, I am still your God. And that they, he exposes that they have forgotten him. Verse 7 to 9, God says that judgment is coming for their wicked ways. Judgment is the end of this road for you, God says to Israel. God says that there's no help for them. You're down this road, and you can't look to kings, you can't look to armies, you can't look to wisdom. There is no path off this road other than repenting and returning to God. There's no help for them except for God. Verse 12 and 13, God reveals that, that Israel doesn't choose God. They continue in their sin. They prove themselves to be an unwise people. And that it closes up the chapter saying that while the nation of Assyria... The world superpower in the 720s BC, Assyria is going to come in and decimate them and destroy them, decimate their culture and send them into exile. And while God says that's going to happen, God takes ownership and says, I'm allowing this to happen. Your fate is in my hands. I'm going to allow Assyria to come in and do this because that's where your road leads. And then this leads to chapter 14, which is the last chapter of Hosea. We're going to look at that chapter next week. It's an incredibly profound and beautiful chapter of God's commanding love over us. 
But before we get to next week, I want to spend some time today looking at a, the first part of chapter 13. So please, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hosea chapter 13? We're going to take time and walk through verses 1 to 9 together. As you do that, I want you again to see this not as a window to the past, although it is, but as a mirror to our own souls. So church, would you hear the word of the Lord? Hosea chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more, and they make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mists, or like the dew that goes away early like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt you know no God but me. And besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their hearts were lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside them in the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, and let's continue. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray this morning that you'd grant us your Holy Spirit, that we might know your word more deeply, your gospel more fully, and that we might know you more closely. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Okay, so Jesus Christ preached what? Starts with a G, one word. Jesus Christ preached the, G, Jesus Christ preached the gospel. Interesting word. Actually, this word translates into English into two different words. It's a phrase. does also start with a G. Anyone know, know what that two-word phrase is? Good news. Good news. The gospel means good news. Jesus preached this gospel. He told us, Christians, to go and continue to share this gospel to the ends of the earth. So Christian, oh Christian, who are you sharing the gospel with? Are you taking up the call of your Lord and Savior to go and share the gospel, to continue to share the good news? The gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That even though our sins are worthy of the judgment of God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, taking our sins and rising on the third day, because of this we can have salvation in his name. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message that the church has preached for 2,000 years. But did you know that the world has its own gospel? See, if the Christian message is the gospel of salvation, then the world's message is the gospel, quote-unquote, the gospel of self-love. This is the world's gospel, which sounds so sweet to ears, which are already prone to pride. This is the world's gospel, that you are good enough, therefore you should love yourself. And so now, guess what? We 
are a people who are obsessed with celebrating what? Ourselves. I don't necessarily mean we as in the people in this room, but we as a culture. We have pride parades. We have, let's be honest here, social media is not about connecting socially. It's about showcasing ourselves and how wonderful and smart and righteous we are. The world's message is one of self-love, but our passage reminds us of this. While self-love may be celebrated, it is not salvation. Verse 1 in chapter 13, and let me just pause on this and say this. Church, let's be a church that has our Bibles open on our lap. If you're new or relatively new from peace, you get a pass. If you've been here for a while, no excuses. We have our Bibles open. On your lap, on your lap, I don't care. Just I want you to see what I'm seeing as we walk through this passage together. Chapter 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. Okay, so what's going on here? This is a throwback to the founding of the nation of Israel. Ephraim was the largest tribe in Israel. And so Ephraim commanded the nation with strength, and therefore they were feared, and they were honored, and they were exalted. But listen to how long this wonderful testimony lasts. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. Baal, of course, being the pagan god of the surrounding cultures. Ephraim stopped following God, started following the world around them, and they died. Even though they were so strong and so feared and so self-assured, they were still led into worshiping false gods, and they died. That's a warning to us in America. All their strength and all their power and all their self-assurance meant nothing because it's powerless in the face of sin, because sin always leads to death. There is no salvation in self-love. So Steve Jobs was the iconic and innovative CEO of Apple before he died in 2011 of pancreatic cancer. And he was actually diagnosed with cancer earlier on, and so he, he faced a, a life-threatening situation and had to stare fa- uh, death in the face. And after doing that, that kind of changes your perspective on life. And so after he experienced this, he, he went and gave the commencement speech at Stanford in 2005. And after facing death, Listen to, what, uh, to, listen to a part of what he said to college graduates. He said to them, right now is the new, right now the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most importantly, have the courage to follow your own heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. If you have the ears to hear, listen to me. Listen to me, to our modern, American, enlightened, and prideful ears, I know this sounds so nice. I know this sounds so inspiring because this is the world's gospel and too many of you have, been bought, have bought into it. Let me translate for you what Steve Jobs actually told those college graduates. Be who you want and do what you want because we're all going to die anyway. 
That is actually what he said. Doesn't sound so nice when you put it in those terms, now does it? But that's exactly what he's saying. This is the world's gospel. Love yourself because it all doesn't matter anyway. Do you think that truly leads to fulfillment and joy? No. Self-love is built on pride. This is where it led ancient Israel. This is where it leads us, into sin. That was verse 1. Now look at verse 2. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. And so now, just like ancient Israel who kept building new idols for themselves, we keep building things. We keep building new innovations to keep us pacified through life and new medicines to extend our lives by just a few more years. But all it really does is just give us more opportunity to sin more and more. And listen, listen to what it was said. It was said of them, it was said of ancient Israel, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves, baby cows. See, in Baal worship, the worship of the pagan god Baal, human sacrifice was par for the course. And often, this came in the form of child sacrifice. And to kiss, in the ancient world, this was, this was to, to acknowledge submission. They would kiss calves in submission to those idols. So they would kill their own children as they submitted to cows. Sounds so crazy. And maybe if you put it like that to them, they would see how weird it sounds. But someone needs to do that to us. They would sacrifice their children as an offering to their idols. And you know what? So do we. But now our idols are ourselves. And so we abhor our children if they get in the way of our dreams. Or we neglect them in the pursuit of our own ambitions. It was said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Do you know what it will be said of us in our time? Those who abort and abandon their children do so in the pursuit of self-fulfillment. That's what they say about us. Do you see how some things never change? We think they're so ancient and archaic. We are just like them. And the sin of Israel and our sin, it all leads to death. Which is why our lives, the Bible says, amount to nothing more than a passing mist. Because self-love does not lead to salvation. Self-love may, maybe, lead you to your 15 minutes of fame, and then you will die. And that'll be your testimony. The Bible's clear on this. Verse 3, Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes away early in the morning. Steve Jobs was right. You will gradually become the old, and you will be cleared away. You think the future culture is going to like you? They're going to sweep you under the rug. And just like the mist at sunrise or the dew in the morning, but when we realize this, when we realize how fragile and temporary our lives are, I mean, is really the right response to that? Therefore, love yourself? Let me, let me say this. If it is, like, if the answer to our existential problem of an ultimately meaningless universe is actually self-love, then let me just get ahead of the curve here and tell you, then don't get married. Just use people. Don't give away your money. Accumulate for yourself as much as you possibly can because it all doesn't matter anyway. Because that's where self-love 
actually leads. It leads to sin and selfishness. You know, those who have accumulated, accumulated all the wealth in the world, they will still tell you it's never enough. Why? Because those who have it all have nothing without God. Even in the face of pride, self-love, ambition, and rebellion, God still calls out to us. Oh, how he loves us. Verse, five, verse 4 and 5. But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, you know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. God is telling us, you can have it all, but without me, you have nothing. There was no other God. There was no other path of salvation. All the fake gods and all the endless pursuits of self-fulfillment, they will lead you nowhere. But I want you, I want you to listen to this next verse. And I want you to try to tell me that there are no parallels to us today. Look at chapter 13, verse 6. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their hearts were lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. The ancient kingdom of Israel, in the 720s BC, when this was taking place, this was a time of great economic prosperity and great military might. They were uh, an affluent people. They had everything they needed. They had abundant food. They had a booming economy. They had safety. They had security. They were happy. Their hearts were lifted up. And so guess what? They did not feel a need for God. Because when you are prosperous, productive, and protected, why do you need God? This is one of the great dangers of living in America. Now listen, there's no place else I'd rather live, and there's no time else I'd rather live than the time I was born into. But this is one of the great dangers of living in America because we are so self-sustained and so self-righteous, we don't see a need for God. And we've said this before, the tragic reality of the human heart is this. We see it in ancient Israel, and we see it in the mirror. It's hard for a comfortable people to see their need for God. It's, it's, it's hard to see how hollow our lives are without him. And so our best chance of this is, is for one of our quote-unquote modern-day prophets like Steve Jobs, for him to get terminal cancer, face death, and then turn around and tell us death comes for us all. But we still don't listen because we are entertained with phones, bread, and circus. And this is what we fail to realize in the midst of all this. When we forsake hope and help, there is only judgment and justice. When we cast off the hope and the help that God offers to us, when we throw that aside, all that is left for us now is judgment and justice. Throughout the entire book of Hosea, we see that God has come to his people like a gentle father, like a faithful husband, like a loving God. He's come at them in so many beautiful ways, but they continue to reject him because they're living lives pursuing themselves rather than God. And when God offered hope and help to them, they chose themselves and their sin. This left them to face only justice and judgment. Look at verse 7 and 8. God says, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and there I will devour them like a lion. 
at some point, at some point, God says to us, I can spot the difference. I can spot the difference. You're not just making mistakes. You are living in open rebellion to the love of God. And all that is left for you now is for you to pay for your own sins. But let's, let's be honest for a moment. We don't think God could ever talk like that to us. God would never say he's going to come at us like a mama bear. You got to be kidding me, right? I mean, like, we're wonderful people. God could never talk to us like that. And the reason that we have that mentality is because we do this. We take our sinful hearts and we say, well, everybody trips up. Well, everybody makes mistakes. Well, nobody's perfect. Why? Because we've bought into the gospel, quote-unquote, of the world. But here's what we really are saying. Here's the root of these statements. What we're really trying to say is, sin is not that bad, and I am still a good person. Anytime you try to deflect your own sin by saying, well, nobody's perfect, this is what you're saying. Well, sin's not that bad, and I'm still, I'm still a good person. But God does not buy those excuses. He does not tolerate them. He calls them out for what they are, and he decimates our excuses as he brings upon us the judgment that is due for our sins. All the while, we stand here like we never saw it coming. Verse 9, He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Now, whether God is speaking of Assyria or he's just simply switching back between first and third person, either way, God calls himself our helper. Let me talk about that for just a moment. This is the same term used to describe wives as helpmates. Why? Because helper, helpmate, is not a term of subjugation. It's a term of support. God is our helper. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Jesus tells us that it's a good thing that he would return to heaven because he would send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, helping us to stay in the faith, helping us to stay in the path of righteousness. In Hosea, in the book of Hosea, God, again, he's revealed as our loving husband, our gentle father, our jealous God, but he also says he's our helper. Do you rely on him for help, or do you, like a strong-willed, self-centered American, try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it on your own? God offers us help. We need to seek him for help. We cannot do this on our own, but we don't seek him, and we don't seek his help because we don't see the need for him because We don't see ourselves as sinners in need of saving. We see ourselves as good people who make mistakes. Let me say that again. We don't see ourselves as sinners in need of saving, but simply as good people who make mistakes. So let me ask you again. How many repeated mistakes can we make before we say it's a lifestyle? For 14 chapters of Hosea, God pleads with his people to return to him, to turn from the world, to turn from their sin, and return to the one who truly loves him. But they don't listen. 
Let me ask you, are you here now? Do you have the ears to hear and the heart to receive and the will to respond to God calling you? God is calling you to return to him. I hope all of us right now, we are at some level confronted with the seriousness of our sin and how ugly it truly is. Because when we do that, that's not a cause to turn around and love ourselves. That's not a cause to embrace the world's gospel. The world's gospel, that you are a good person and so you should love yourself, that's not good news. Because it's not true. You want to know what the good news is? Here is the good news. Our repeated sins were laid on Christ who paid for them once and for all. That's the good news. That's the good news that we want people to hear and to respond to. See, the gospel of the world just leads to more pride and to more sin. But the gospel of Jesus leads to hope and to salvation. Jesus Christ rose from the dead He died on the cross for our sins, not so that you could love yourself. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you could experience the love of God. And I'm here to tell you, the love that God has for you is better than the love that you could have for yourself. You want to have a true love in your life? Then experience the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus. This is why we worship. Not because we are good people who should love ourselves, but because we are sinners who have been made brand new by the power of the gospel of God. Washed clean by the blood of Jesus who died for our sins, that is the power to break the cycle of sin in our lives. Why do we worship? We worship a God God who loves us even though we deserve death. This is why we worship. Because no matter how many mistakes and sins you've made in your life, there is always hope, help, and salvation for those who return to God through faith in Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let's prepare our hearts for worship.